Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, and best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to learn how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Thank you for joining us today on the Transform Now podcast. In the first of a three-part series, this episode provides insight from an experienced executive in the financial services industry through a discussion with one of Blue Prism's leaders. Darshan, I'll let you do the honors. Great to be here and welcome everybody. My name is Darshan Jain. I'm the uh, Senior Director for Financial Services and Banking for Blue Prism uh, for North and South America. And in this role, of course, I work with a multitude of financial services companies with all things related to intelligent automation and helping them along their journey. I'm also super delighted to have uh, joining me today, Giovanni Gentili of State Street. And uh, we've been working with State Street for a number of years and just amazing what they've done with their automation. And that's what we're really going to be talking about a lot today. I'd like to turn it over to Gio to uh, give a brief introduction. Gio. Awesome. Thanks, Darsh. I appreciate it. Uh, Giovanni Gentili, been with State Street about uh, three and a half years, spent about 25 years in the auto industry, working for Ford Motor Company, FCA, and a couple of suppliers as well. Again, joined State Street from trying to transform physical robots into virtual robots and the mentality behind it. So uh, bringing a lot of that experience with me from the auto industry and looking forward to discussing it with you today, Darshan. What comes to mind when we talk about the automotive sector where you spent time at FCA and others, and now at State Street being, of course, a, a key financial services player, what are some of the things that come immediately top of mind in terms of if you have to contrast the industry from an automation perspective, what are some things that come to mind? Well, I think a couple of things, right? First, the sense of urgency in the auto industry, obviously, if you're manufacturing vehicles and, and parts on an assembly line, right? Uh, you don't have a whole lot of time to waste. Uh, people are very focused. It's very efficient. Uh, there's accountability because obviously it's your job can be on the line, right? So there's a lot of that there. Where in the financial services, there are a lot of presentations that are done and a lot of discussion that happens. And there's obviously results that happen, but they happen in, in not as quick a time or as efficient as you would have in the auto industry. And then communication was very direct, again, in manufacturing and production facilities and even in, in marketing spaces. I've done a lot of different things in the auto industry and it's just very direct. We've got to get the job done. Uh, you know, $100,000, a million dollars can be a rounding error in financial services. Whereas in the auto industry, if you can save two or three pennies, that's a huge accomplishment. So there's a lot of attention to detail there uh, that is that is key in ensuring that you get a quality product off the line. So that's some of the differences, uh, in my opinion, from what I've seen thus far. So you mentioned sense of urgency, communications, and again, the sort of the ultra, ultra focus on cost reduction, because again, the margin times automotive products is extremely major. Um, and financial services, again, we just see JP Morgan uh, and, and Goldman Sachs just have their, their results, huge stellar uh, income, nothing short than what we would expect. So margin to be, to be better. And I'm curious sometimes because of that relentless focus on cost reduction, that is that a driving force more in the automotive to say, what can we do to reduce cost, get the product to be a higher quality? And has that translated, that sense of urgency translated in your few years now at State Street? Is it less? Is it about the same or is it more? I think it has translated. So when I first came, it was, you know, in the 90s, the auto industry was in a situation where they were dwindling profits. They had to do a lot of things. Automation was one of those things to sort of increase their profit margins and reduce costs. 
I find the financial services industry is in that kind of space now. It's very competitive. Retaining clients and customers is the most important. So whatever advantage you could come across to do that uh, is paramount. So now we, we are starting to see that sort of sense of urgency uh, from the executives as well as far as what can we do to help you guys succeed? Because obviously if you succeed, we succeed and the customer succeeds, right? So ultimately that's uh, the philosophy. So it has improved, I would say, over the last three and a half years that I've been here. So just on that note, I, you know, I've been talking to a lot of our customers and just industry in general, the FS space, and there, a, a lot of folks seem to reply that COVID have had an impact um, in specifically when you mentioned sense of urgency, uh, you know, when the early days of COVID, we weren't at offices, um, processes just literally broke down and just couldn't access various things. In your view, in the last 18 months or so, sort of April timeframe last year to now, has that sense of urgency escalated at State Street? I think it has, you know, volatility in the market as well. We see volumes increasing and decreasing. So now it's, you know, do we have bots available, right? To, to scale up, to scale down, to support. So there is a lot of, uh, of urgency. But there's also a lot of pre-planning as well as to what has happened or transpired. How do we better prepare for that in the future? And I think those key lessons learned are starting to manifest as well. So it's, it is starting to transform the culture and COVID has done that, I think, in a, in a positive, in a silver lining, if you will, as a result. Mm. Um, again, I, I sort of read in the Wall Street Journal that senior executives are weighing in on lots of these kinds of things. And this is, you know, the role of leadership in, in any industry is, okay, how do we plan for the future? How do we address the challenges of today? And so just on the sort of, on the COVID sense, how has executive sponsorship of these initiatives um, changed at State Street? And then if you could sort of tell us a little bit about what executive sponsorship used to be in the automotive, are there any differences or is it the same thing? Hey, Darshan, look, it's all about cost reduction. It's about, you know, uh, what can we do for the customer? Or are there differences in, in how executives look at automation? Yeah, I think there are some differences, Darshan, you know, um, from an executive sponsorship perspective, right? The biggest impediment you can have is if the rest of your team or other departments within your organization aren't on board with you. So having that executive sponsorship obviously allows you the trajectory and the velocity that you need. Uh, initially, when we first came, you know, automation was kind of new. It wasn't application development. So a lot of the production releases were based on application development. Um, so you didn't have that sponsorship. And when you didn't have that, you had a lot of resistance. You know, what is this process? How is it going to affect my applications? State Street's a 225-year-old company, so there's a lot of legacy there, right? Um, technology that uh, I think sometimes application owners are just afraid that the bots are going so fast that they're going to break their technology. So they're very hard-pressed to, to be cooperative. So unless you have that sponsorship at the top, say, listen, automation is strategic for us and we need to make sure that everybody's on board and that takes priority, then you sort of struggle, which we did in the very beginning. We have made some strides since then. We are getting better at that. We are getting that top-down sponsorship. But in the auto industry, um, you know, it was sort of a mandate, you know, from, from the top of the house, this is the way we're going to operate. This is what we need to do. This is our ultimate goal. It was much more clearly defined, but it's getting there now in financial services and especially at State Street within the automation artificial intelligence team. We're starting to see that, that top down pressure uh, to allow us that, that velocity that we need to succeed. You know, so it's, it's a matter of do you want to speed up with the technology or do you want to slow down with the sort of, you know, old world culture that's here? So we're trying to slowly close that gap, if you will. And so do you find sometimes that you're competing for attention uh, at the senior executive level um, 
to make sure that automation stays sort of as the leading edge of uh, various initiatives. And automotive, it was absolutely mandated. We must, we must, we must. But at FS, it seems to be, there's a lot of distraction. And so, and you have change, changes in, in executives. Some folks are very much focused and others say, yeah, it's an initiative, but I'm, I'm kind of over here. How do you navigate that with, with the senior folks? Yeah, you know, that's been interesting. We, we've had had some revolving doors of executives within State Street in the last couple of years, right? So that's affected us in a number of ways. Um, I think initially, the first program we had when I first came at State Street was really focused on technology, which is great in itself. You know, there were 13 streams, there was uh, RPA, there was uh, cognitive computing, there was microservices, um, unified, you know, data, data and a lot of architecture, a lot of things there. But the, the I think the advantage that we have now with that is that we're tied to business value. So the new team kind of came in and said, technology is great, but if the technology for the sake of technology, it doesn't get you where you need to go. What business value does it bring? How do you tie that into the business? Let's not be separate IT and business, but how can we sort of combine and create that utopia where there is accountability and ownership? If you give the business some ownership with RPA or responsibility, now they're vested and they'll want to produce. But if you just tell them, hey, here's a, here's a product, go ahead and use it. Then you're going to get into that old school kind of mentality of, you know, this is kind of finger pointing your fault, your fault sort of thing. Um, so that's, I think the auto industry, again, you have to have 120 cars come out that line per hour. And that's the bottom line where it's, it's much more blurry in financial services. You almost uh, wish that financial services sometimes could be as straightforward as the assembly line. We all can picture it. We know that that line must move and it's moving at so many vehicles coming off. And yes, you have the right to pull the cord to say if there's a safety issue or something, but that line, everybody's focused on that. In financial services, it's a little bit, it, it's, it's less transparent. Um, right. So I know when I moved from packaged goods into banking, I had a very clear, we had to get the goods out the door on the truck through the supermarkets and so on. That's what Nestle makes. It makes physical goods. Right. Banking, sometimes you almost wanted to have it productionized. So what's the, what's our loan? What's our commercial? What's our mortgages? Correct. Yeah. We're opening accounts. If you had it sort of in a conveyor belt system, we could all focus. Is that sometimes what we do with automation is trying to look at that end to end process and say, guys, what is it when the customer starts? Uh, the journey and when we have the product in their hand. Has that helped at State Street looking at process flow from end to end? I think it, I think it has, right? And that mentality is starting to seep in, right? You look at a process in itself and, you know, I think State Street has built a reputation on being, you know, very customer focused and customer centric, right? But at the detriment of standardized processes, a lot of customization in the organization. So looking at an end to end process and saying, you know, where's the waste? We have a, I worked for a Japanese supplier for a couple of years. And uh, they use the term muda, which is waste, essentially. Where is the waste in the process? What is not contributing to the final outcome of the product? And let's get rid of it. So it's sort of that mentality, that lean, you know, Six Sigma mentality of saying, what do we not need? How can we combine? I mean, there's five ways to do an accounting process, you know, across the globe. Why do we have to have five different ways? Well, the customer wants this and the customer wants that. Well, let's bring the customers together and say, can let's find a middle ground. So now we have one process we've consolidated. Now we can scale. Now we have reusability in a lot of our library components as we're building our automations, right? That becomes paramount and key. So um, a lot of times what happens is business units will come to us with the solution and say, hey, listen, our, we need RPA to fix this problem. And we ask, what's your problem? Don't, this is a chicken and the egg sort of thing, right? Come with the problem and then we'll put the best solution that fits. So it's again, having that mentality, a lot of process re-engineering 
mindset that we would take from the auto industry and apply it now to financial services processes. Essentially, they're saying you're trying to get something out the door, whether you're meeting an SLA or whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, let's focus on that and then work backwards, if you will. Uh, you know, one thing that Tesla has done very well, at least from the, the, the what I've read, is when they look at process reengineering, they're not trying to just say, I've got the process, what can I do incrementally? They question, mm -hmm. why do we have to have this process at all? And the same exactly. is the best, the best part is no part at all. And we yeah. heard of like, having this, they've taken 300 parts in their casting down to like mm -hmm. 30 parts or, or some gigantic, you know, gigapress. In the same way, I think what you're alluding to is that State Street, your team is starting to look at the processes and not do incremental, but questioning fundamentally, how does this entirely fit the customer journey? Um, and then say, don't come and just have us do the tweaks. We want to partner with you as a business. Guys, why do you have this process in the first place? Right. Is that something that your team has gotten involved in? Yeah, we have. So we're starting to look at some tools as well from, you know, process mining and things of that nature to kind of look at that process in a little more detail. Um, you know, I, I think in the end with the customer, you have to look at the end goal is to retain your customers. Because obviously if you have customers, you have profitability and revenue and all that good stuff, right? So how do you retain them? And a lot of times you may not, you may have a process that may not bring you an instant return on your investment, right? Whether it's an FTE save or whatever the case may be, but downstream effects are critically important. So we're challenging now business units to say, if we fix this process, what does it do down the road to the next group that handles the process or somebody else or the customer in the end? And if you start to look at that mentality of, you know, future effects or downstream effects, and you can start to now fix the things that will bring you the greatest return in the end, that's a better business case. A lot of times, and then when I first came at State Street, it was all about FTE saves. And that was the message. So socialization of RPA at State Street was very difficult because everybody was worried that bots are gonna come and take our jobs. And it was not bad at all, right? It was, you know, we have a re repeatable process that's mundane, uh, you know, and, and easy to do, no thinking involved. We can automate that so you can do something of more value. Right, so now we're gonna upskill those employees, right? So that message had to be sent out and made a little bit clearer as well. Um, and it's, it's starting to improve. We're starting to get in that direction, but it takes a lot of effort and time. And again, if you go back to that sponsorship, if you don't have that sponsorship, then, you know, it, it oftentimes falls on, on deaf ears. So it's, it's, it's been a challenge for sure, you know, three and a half years worth, um, but we're, we're making a lot of good progress and the leadership team that we have now at State Street is doing a great job at supporting that. You know, you make a great point. I'm just, again, visualizing a modern assembly plant uh, that you, uh, you know, in, in Detroit and if, if you can re-engineer, if you can automate, if you can do things um, more systematically, the end result is that everybody on the assembly line says, hey, we're going to get cars out faster with high quality. Correct. Nobody really, at least on the surface of it, nobody really says, oh, gee, if I submit this idea, I'm going to be out of a job. That, that usually in, on an assembly line that says, great, we're going to, instead of getting five vehicles, you know, an hour out, we're going to get 10 vehicles an hour out or what have you. But you're right, in financial services, that is commonly, it's like, if I help automate, then I have less to do. And therefore, if I have less to do, then you're not going to have a home for me. That message is changing very slowly, um, but it's so sharp. It's so clear in automotive. How can we do a better job to say, guys, every idea you submit, every time we come to you with saying, as you mentioned, where is this process? How is it mm -hmm. helping to where people should see, they should see him. They should get empowered to say, I want to help. Are there some things that you've done at State Street, again, borrowing from automotive 
just um, further along the lines you've mentioned, how to make sure we get rid of that fear that when we're talking about communications, internal marketing, uh, uh, getting very clear on guys, this is what automation is. This is what it's not. So internal marketing, I'm thinking it's gotta be something, you know, more education, more awareness. Absolutely. More education, more awareness. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of balance in the end. So yeah, there are cost savings associated with the reduction of the number of people that have to do a certain process. But in the same breath, now I take, you know, other individuals now, and now I can upskill them to be better uh, as far as customer service to the client. So now I'm going to try to deliver more value again to the client, right? You're driving value to the client. You're trying to retain clients. So what are the activities we can do? We kind of market to the team as exactly that. We want you and your best assets to be focused on making the client enjoy the experience that much more. What can we do to do that? So now instead of doing, you know, some accounting work or, um, you know, corporate headers or things like that in the financial services industry, now can we take you and put you close to the customer? So that, again, going back to the Japanese Muda concept, right? You're going value, anything that's not directly contributing to the product is considered waste. Yeah. So now we can say, now we're going to put you towards the product now, much closer to the client and that'll, uh, in increase your, um, satisfaction of your job, right? It'll increase your confidence and your skill set, and make you more marketable as well. So there's a huge uplift there in the human factor or proponent of this, um, if we go that route. But again, you have to craft the message carefully and clearly, um, mm -hmm. because again, there are individuals who are worried about it for you know, various number of reasons, either it's job security or it's, you know, the application will crash. You know, we explained to that, it doesn't affect the underlying application, right? Uh, automation. Yeah, it's simply automating what a human would do, but it's sometimes lost in translation. So that becomes key. It took us a little while to get there. We're starting to get there and move in the right direction. But, uh, you know, the message can be tricky, to say the least. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.